what happened over COVID was they made the biggest leap in history towards moving countries, Western countries, towards communism. This isn't even close. We're talking about a compound rate of like 18% over the time Trudeau's been in power. Instead, what you have is a number that's over 300%. That's the actual cost of living. Gas has doubled. Rent has doubled. The cost of homes has doubled. These things have gone up over 100%. Everything in life costs more money. They censored people for f***ing everything. You know, pushback against vaccines, questioning masks, lockdowns, all these other things, the Wuhan lab. All of that was disinformation. All of that is true. Who gets to decide what the truth is? Hey everybody, welcome to The Blender Report. My name is Jonathan Harvey, and this is my co-host, Aaron Cole. Um, so this is our first episode, so I'll give you a bit of a rundown on how things work. Well, Blender News is, like I said, where news meets rational thinking. And the idea is that we mix what's happening on the left with what's happening on the right to give you a more comprehensive view of reality. And on The Blender Report, we do the same thing, we just talk a little more shit. By any chance, did you see the World Series this year? Yeah, so, you know... I'm a huge baseball fan. Like, number one sport that I love to watch is baseball. I grew up playing it my whole life. Loved it. I actually grew up and played with Joey Votto when I was a kid. And it was interesting. Like, not not a lot of games, one or two, uh, because we played in, like, a, a similar league. Um, it was then, when I was, like, 15, 16, I'm like, oh, I'm no good at this sport. This That was the day. I'm like, I'm, I'm a child playing with a man. And this dude, is he was so good, man. It was crazy. So I've always been a huge fan. Um, but it was kind of funny. Like, the it was almost the most... I hate to say this, but like, I don't care, but I didn't care about either team at all. Like I wanted to yeah. see out of the four teams left. I would have rather seen Philly and Houston versus Texas and, um, Arizona. Arizona you know what yeah. I mean, but you know, the problem too is Arizona has got no fan base. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, no, but no, like, they, they dude, really don't. it's no. just a team in a, in a market well, well, that they had to fill. Philly's got a huge fan base, right? Yeah. So people couldn't get tickets in Philly. They were going and buying them for like under a hundred dollars in Arizona to catch the games. Yeah, I'm like, wow. bro, there's no support here. But I mean, it is what it is. And I don't know. Did you see that thing that popped up? Uh, it was Babylon B that posted it. Fucking jokes. They're like, oh, God rewards the only team that did not have a pride night with the World Series. I'm like, yo. <laughs> yo. I'm like, the fucking internet misses nothing. Nah, dude. <laughs> they don't miss. Nah, that's one thing I love about the Babylon B. Like, they don't miss at all with their cap. It's but so jokes. It's, but it's so funny you mentioned that, like, you didn't really care like that. Nah. Because, like, you know what I even found? Like, I, I took a, a, a look at it. And uh, pretty much, like, over the last couple of years, like, their viewership in the World Series has technically been down. Yeah, not surprised. Like, this one, I think this one... Uh, in 2016, they were saying how the uh, it was about like 22.8 million uh, that what that were watching at that time. Now this year it was less than 10 million. That's no joke. But I mean, how much of that do you think is because they because of the adoption into streaming services versus cable? Because like what what do you watch? So I don't give a flying like if it's not sports, if it's on TV, I don't care. That's the yeah, only yeah, thing I watch. That's the only thing I have on right. my cable box. And, and the thing is, like, I got a, I got a, I got a Android box at home, so I get all my sports. I'm good. But everything's kind of shifting towards streaming, and now you're seeing these major, these major leagues. They are making, um, <clears throat> they're making contracts with these streamers too. So yeah. cable's on its way out, and I'm wondering if most of that is a symptom of the fact that people just don't have cable because. You know, if you had cable, you'd watch the World Series, but you're not going to go get it. You're not going to go out of your way just to catch the game. Maybe you'll go to a bar if you care. I'm not even, I'm not going to go buy MLB, what's their MLB pass, like similar to like, you know, Dude, they have like, that's just pretty it's expensive. It's expensive. <laughs> and you're like, hey, you can watch a million games. It's like, bro, I care about one team. <laughs> like, that's it. So they're like, well, you can watch them all. I'm like, no, I, the one team, I only care about the one team. So they're like, well, you need, it's, 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 I think it's a bit of a broken model. I actually think if they parsed it out, if the MLB parsed it out and we're like, okay, 
If it costs you, say, 100 bucks for the season, for all the games, well, we'll only charge you 20 for your team. Okay? That makes a lot of sense, but it, who knows? I think we might see something with that. Maybe if they make... Uh, you know, they cut a deal with the metaphorical devil with Amazon, you know what I mean? No, they Amazon's not the Amazon devil. Bezos is what's up. Everybody's just hating on that guy. Yeah. Fuck you guys. That's true. All right, guys. Uh, so let's get into this. So for today, we have headline number one. We have 128 soldiers sue the Canadian military for an abuse of power for their COVID-19 policies, with over 31 alleging a vaccine injuries. So we're going to pull up this article here. This is from Epoch Times article, and it states that current and former soldiers have launched a lawsuit against the top leadership of the Canadian military and the Department of National Defense, alleging abuse of power a violation and violation of charts and rights, uh, charter of rights and freedoms with regard to COVID-19 policies. The lawsuit involves 128 individuals who were coerced into taking the injections due to the Canadian Armed Forces COVID-19 vaccine mandate, with some refusing to be expelled from the military and others complying and allegedly suffering from severe adverse effects. This is getting pretty wild. So what do you think about this, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just kind of one more notch in this crazy belt that's been COVID, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I think one thing I would say is... <clears throat> Why are we making the people that are sacrificing kind of everything to, 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 to defend your country? Why are you forcing them to do these things? You know, I think if you kind of look back, and I'm not going to pull too far back, but the thing is they, they rushed uh, an, an unknown type of vaccine into the market in less than a year when we know it takes 10 years, right? And people are like, well, we had the best scientists in the world on this. Yes, you did. But did any of them have a fucking time machine? Because... You need to wait for five to seven years for these things to sit in your body to know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter how good your scientists are. If you can't speed up time, you don't know how the body's going to respond. And the thing is, this wasn't a standard type of vaccine, which everybody knows these days. You know, they rushed this thing into market. And what was weird is then they got very, very ideological, dogmatic about it. And not just like, you know, you have to do this. You have to be on our team. You need to do this and this and whatever. And they're saying like, oh, you had a choice. Trudeau's up there saying, oh, you had a choice. You had no choice. These people specifically <laughs> had no choice. So, I mean, yeah. you know, when you, when you look at something like this, what happened was the government has a set of rules they have to live by, just like everyone else in society. Theirs are a little, a little more loose leaf, let's call it. But the reality is they, they tricked everybody into believing that this situation was so bad and their solution was so good that they were allowed to break all the rules to make sure everybody towed the line. This is really dangerous. Like, you know, you look at you look at people, you know, building a constitution or anything, Bill of Rights, stuff like that. You know, you look at these guys that created in 1776 in the United States. They had amazing foresight to understand what was going to happen and how bad things could be. It was pretty amazing yeah. if you look at what's in there. You know, the First Amendment being, you know, freedom of speech. Look how important that is these days. You know, you're looking at 250 years later and they knew what was going to happen. But now you've got governments over time that have been able to slowly erode what was built and put in place to keep people safe. And in my opinion, what happened over COVID was they made the biggest leap in history towards moving countries, Western countries, towards communism. That's exactly what they did. Everything that they've done, they pulled directly out of communist handbooks. They've convinced people that up is down, left is right, and, and, and everything that they... You know what I mean? Like, it, it became this thing where... Science was no longer about the science, but they would tell you that it's about the science. It's not. It's about dogma. It's become its own political ideology, right? And this is just one more example. You know, you look at these people, like I said, that have sacrificed so much for your country, that are trying to do all these things, and they're young and healthy people. 
Look, we've never been able to vaccinate against a coronavirus, primarily because it mutates so quickly. We know this. We also know that you don't vaccinate in the middle of a pandemic because it's going to create mutations. These are things that were common knowledge in the scientific community. And then as soon as people started speaking up, they were all squashed. All those voices had to be condemned and shut down. So you realize this has nothing to do with a virus. It has nothing, really nothing to do with the vaccine. It has to do with control. They made a substantial, substantial uh, move towards compliance. And people were willing to give up everything. And they need people like the military to say, yeah, this is the right thing to do. We're on board. Yeah, let's go. Because they're, they're, they're your hired hands. They're the guys yeah. that go out there and shut us down if we start speaking up. That's so they true. needed those people to fall into line. And I'm glad a lot of them didn't. And I hate to see that some people got injured. I really do. But the silver lining in that is it's proof that what they did was wrong. It's proof that the government overstepped and shouldn't have gone this way. And it's, I think it, it, it actually stands to our favor now because the military is not going to let this happen again. These people are not, and they know. Like, look, you look around in society and you kind of go, are we outnumbered? Can the, can the good guys, you know, good guys. I should say this way. Can, <laughs> can, citizens, yeah. can citizens manage the force of the government? I would suggest they could. I heard something the other day. If you look in the United States, take all military service, all police, everyone that would be a defensive force for the United States, if they all got on board at the same time, which they wouldn't, but if they did, you know what they could, you know what they could accomplish? That number of people could only lock down six cities in the entire United States. Oh, wow. They are so fucking severely outnumbered that this is just a game of making sure everybody shuts up and toes the line because they'd have no chance if everybody pushed back. And this was just one of those, like I said, COVID became a political game about control. And, and you know what, what, what irks me or what kind of scares me a little bit? And it, it actually does. It instills a little bit of fear, which I don't like. <clears throat> Bill Gates is out there saying we're going to have, an, uh, he's saying we're going to have another pandemic in 2025. First of all, you can't forecast these things, you psycho how did, fuck. Like how, like, how does he know? That's he, what I really Because they're, they're going to implement it. It's going to happen. And you know what they said? Well, this one, this one, guys, this is going to affect the young and the healthy. This is going to be something, I imagine something that'll create like a cytokine storm in your system. Your, your, um, your body will overreact and kind of take you out. That's kind of the idea. That's what I'm assuming. If it's just going to affect young people versus old people. But the thing is, the reason, in my opinion, this is just an opinion, the reason that they're doing something like this is because... They got so much more control through COVID, through a pandemic. And they're going to do it again in 2025, very likely, based on what they're literally saying to our faces. And then they're going to take even more control, even faster. But here's what's interesting. All the people in the army that are going to be pushing back, all the people like you and me and Dean over there that are going to be pushing the fuck back on all this, we're going to be the problem. Because this is going to, what they're going to do is they're going to create this virus that's going to affect young, healthy people. So anybody that pushes back and says, fuck these guys, they're tyrants, they're going to go, look what's happening to all the young people. It's people like us. We're the problem. And our voices are going to be squashed very quickly because these people are learning from their mistakes. This is just one that bit them in the ass. And I'm interested to see how this plays out in court because, you know, vaccine companies, obviously, they're sheltered from all of this, right? They don't have to worry. Uh, ever since the Reagan administration, they've just had a free pass. Get a vaccine into the system. Don't worry about marketing. Just make yourself a billion dollars. Got it. But this is a severe overreach on, you know, Canadian law. Um, but I, I really don't know if these guys are going to be... I don't know if justice is going to be served. I really don't know. And I think a lot of times these things happen. And what they do is they pull straw man arguments to try to say, hey, well, it could have been something else. It could be this. It could be that. At the end of the day, you made a choice, blah, blah, blah. I don't really know. Um... At the end of the day, I feel bad for these people. I do. I feel bad for people 
that took these things. I feel bad for people that were injured. I feel bad for people that were coerced into, for one reason or another, whether it's your job, whether it's the military, whatever it is, I feel bad that our government treated these people so poorly and this is where they ended up. But here's what I hope. I hope that enough people realize that if the entire mobilized army and, and force in the United States can only capture six cities, that we have power in numbers. This happened once, and they're telling us it's going to happen again. So when it does, stand the fuck up and push back. In fact, now would be a great time to start voicing this because people like us, we can't carry this entire load. So that's what I hope people take from it. No, I, I totally agree people take that, take that as well because... You know, I'm of the firm believer that, you know, although people were coerced, I, I'm not even going to lie. I kind of do agree with Trudeau that, like, people still chose. Because at the end of the day, imagine if enough of us said no. I mean, what, I, what could they really did, do? But yeah. What could they really do if enough of us said no? If, if the economy came to a grinding halt and enough of us just said no, enough's enough, we stop. Mm -hmm. They couldn't really enforce any of these things. I agree but with you. The problem comes in where enough people feel whatever, you know, whatever their pressure could be. It, it just comes down to pressure at sure. the end of the day. It could be economic pressure. It could be, you know, uh, social pressure. For it sure. could be uh, it, uh, just a whole bunch of other factors that, you know, we might not take into consideration that push them towards these decisions. So I just hope that people learn their lesson, like you said, because at the end of the day, it's still a choice and you have a choice to take it up, you know, take it, take it or push back. And I think the choice this time in my personal, especially after seeing how many people were affected, I do think people have learned. But like I said, I don't have a crystal ball either. We, on, we only can hope and see, right? But, but we've seen the play, you know, like I used to play football and it's like, it's like how many times can someone run the same play before you stop? Exactly. It, right? Yeah. Yeah, and no, that's I, how I kind of like like see it. I agree with you. I think I will not give everybody a free pass, but I will give everybody the benefit of the doubt. How's that? To yeah. say like, hey, this last time around, a lot of us were being pretty vocal. And I think that in my opinion, it was pretty clear. But I understand, like you said, there's economic forces. There's a lot of social pressure. They did a really good job with their campaign. They they did they did a great job with that fear marketing campaign. That was fear porn. You think about it. The number one tool the government has is not pharmaceuticals. It's not munitions. It's the media. And they, they wow. weaponized it and they did such a good job. But now, like you said, we've seen the play. You know what they're going to run. You know how it's going to work. They're telling you to your face what's going to happen. And now you saw how poorly it went for you last time. They scored a fucking touchdown. <laughs> Do not let this happen again. Don't let it happen again. I totally agree, man. So... Uh, that's that's let, we'll see where it goes in 2025 hopefully something changes there but all right jonathan on to headline number two there's been an open hatred of jews that has been surging globally that has been inflamed by the gaza war this is a breitbart uh, article it states that hamas terrorists terrorists kicked the lid off of hell and invaded israel on october 7th in a barbaric attack that included mass rapes murder torture and kidnappings ever since the streets of uh, and ever since that event has occurred in the streets of berlin paris rome and even in uh, the very heart of london and new york's times square and even in the sydney's opera house in australia there's been a dramatic surge in anti-jewish hatred the hamas attacks uh in everything uh have brought back a ton of historical context and it's brought forward this new wave of anti-Semitism. So I just want to gather, what are your thoughts on this? And, you know, do you see this as some sort of 
new wave of this division that's happening similar to like what happened with COVID? Well, so here's the thing. There's a, there's a lot to unpack there. First things first, like I said, the government's number one tool is the media, right? Now, I think if you, I think if you look at the war, what the Hamas did on October 7th was a terror attack. It was brutal what they did, horrifying. And there are people there that want to exterminate Jewish people from the planet. There's no question there. No question there. That's very true. It's, it's, been, it's been everywhere. Like, I'm even seeing, uh, if we walk around Toronto, I'm seeing a lot of, like, people spray painting stuff, like, yeah, For sure. Jews, stuff like that. Like, I've seen it on random sidewalls and stuff. So you're seeing a lot of that, but you're, when, you're, when you're seeing it in places like Toronto, New York, uh, London, stuff like that, um, same thing. There, there's a certain level of boiling anti-Semitism that seems to be coming to the top because of this, right? Um it's my opinion, honestly, that hate of any kind is bad. I just don't agree with it. I don't really hate anybody. I either love you, care about you, or I just don't even think about you. So I, I really am against a lot of that stuff. But I think this is being, um, I think the media perhaps um, is being a little, maybe hyperbolic is the wrong word. I think they're going a little too far. Because what's actually happening at scale right now is you're seeing people that are pro-Palestine, pro-peace. Pro, pro civilian life. That's actually what the majority of it really is. So when yeah. you get off of mainstream media and you look like you said, so you got 100,000 people um, protesting in London. You had over 100,000 in Turkey. You had hundreds of thousands throughout Europe. They had people, thousands protesting in France where it's literally banned right now. And again, they're just, you are going to have some bad actors. You're going to have some violence, some genocide. You're going to have some people, some, some people promoting some pretty nasty shit. You are. I understand. You, you definitely are. And again, I don't justify hate. That's not my intention, but I, and I'm actually going to bridge back to that in a second, but the, at scale, what this is, <clears throat> you're seeing it in the States, you're seeing it in a lot of colleges and universities, and like you said, New York, Toronto, um, it, was in, it was all over, all over, and it was very big this last weekend. These people are calling for a ceasefire because 9,000 Palestinians are dead. Over 6,000 of them are women and children. These people, these people, look, all people that are Palestinian are not Hamas, even though all Hamas may, in, may in fact be Palestinian. So it's a very interesting designation. You have to be clear on that, you know, because you can't just keep going in here and, and ethnically cleansing a race of people because of what's happened. I admit what they did was wrong, 100%. But where do you draw the line? Where is it casualty of war versus genocide? And, and that is what a lot... I don't have the answers to this. I don't. But that's why all these people are protesting. That's why there's a big divide. And like I said, there's a small number of people that are being opportunistic and, and, and spray painting stuff and being idiots and being terrible. That's going to happen no matter what. The large mass of these people, these hundreds of thousands, these millions of people, they're, 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 the media is portraying this as just, just purely anti-Semitism. It's not what people are saying. They're out there with Palestinian flags saying they want peace. They're not saying they want anything bad to happen to Jewish people. That's not the case. And, and to kind of bridge back to the other point, if you look at kind of what's happened in Palestine uh, over the last 70 years, admittedly, if you know your history, a lot of this has been brought on by Palestinian actions, and a lot of it's been brought on by Israeli. They, 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 there's a fundamental problem. They both want the same, the same piece of land, and neither one of them really wants the other one to exist. That, that's kind of fundamentally what's going on. So they're both taking their opportunities to, to attack when they can, Right. But if you, if you take that understanding and you say, okay, well, there's 14 million Palestinians in the world. I don't know what the number of Hamas is. I don't know. They're a political party out of Gaza. I don't really know what that looks like. But then you take the number of Jewish people in the world. There's 16 million. Just under half of those are in Israel. And you look at how these two cultures have been fighting in a place like, if you look at how they were divided in the 40s, 
it seems like they were divided for war. They were not, there was not a straight line. You take this side, we'll take this side. It was, they were intermixed with each other. It was, you basically designed it to kick the shit out of each other. That's what yeah. you did. And the Arab countries got into a war with them right out of the gates. So it was very obvious what was going on. These people have hated each other for decades. And again, they're fighting over the thing that each of them, they don't want the other one to exist and they both want the same piece of land. So when you see people that don't like them or, you know, Israelis that don't like Palestinians, Palestinians that don't like Israelis, and you see some Jewish hate, I don't think that it's acceptable. But if you understand a little bit of the history, you kind of go, okay, I understand why they might feel that way. Again, not justifying it, saying I understand why. Why is it bleeding into the other parts of the world? I don't know if those are Palestinians. I don't know if they're opportunistic shitheads. I don't know if they're terrible people because those people exist on both sides all the time. That's just going to happen. But this cultural divide, it, like, and in, to your point about it maybe becoming more like COVID, it, it has. So what's happened is the Western media, like I said, number one tool, it is being controlled more and more by the government every day. And now what they're doing with, with a lot of these censorship rules is they're deciding who can say what on what political issue. So... If you say anything in the West against Israel or even really pro-Palestine, not even against Israel, just pro-Palestine, that's getting censored. And so that's created a huge pushback, but it has to be off. It's kind of offline. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of this. But you're also seeing a really big divide, you know, um, at the college, university, and government level. And I actually think this is an important thing. First of all, I support a lot of what these people are standing up for in terms of pro-civilian life. I think everybody should. I think every civilian life is worth the same. Nobody's worth more than the other person. Sorry, I don't care where you come from or who you think you are. You're not. An innocent civilian life is an innocent civilian life. Fuck off with that. But, and that's what the majority of these kids are standing up for. But the problem is a lot of the people that donate to or support or have built these schools are Jewish. That's just bottom line. Or, or more to support that side because they're tied in with the government or whatever it is. But this divide of seeing the schools and the youth push back against the government, <clears throat> in my opinion, this is a healthy thing. Because for decades, maybe longer, as long as I've known, <clears throat> there's been a strong divide. You see the idealistic young college student that goes through this cyclical nature of kind of figuring themselves out, making their own money, and then they start to see the world a little differently. But liberal policies have been so insanely socialist or communist or whatever the hell you want to call them for so long that they've been in lockstep with students. That's not because the students want to be in lockstep with the government. It's because the government has been employing such insane policy, right? So this divide is actually a good thing because now these students are living in a world where they push back against the government. They're not in lockstep with them. So now anything that comes out of the government's mouth from now on will automatically be seen as a problem from this student, this, these student organizations, or at least they'll question it now. You know, so <clears throat> I know I got a little bit off topic, but I think it's actually sort of a silver lining within the divide. You know, um, I suppose to the, to, the, to the bigger point of where this kind of lands in terms of the culture war, it is becoming a little more left-leaning to support Palestine, that's for sure. So it is, it is gentrifying within the political parties. Um, but you still have a lot of, like, you know, Biden's very pro-Israel, doing whatever he can for them, you know, unwavering support. Um, has it become the new COVID? Yeah, I mean, anytime there's a conversation online that the governments don't agree with now, that is going to be the new COVID. You just, if you pick the wrong side, you're a target, Right. And, and in today's world, um, if you're pro-Palestine, you are unfortunately a target of censorship and you're not going to be able to share your opinion without being shut down in one way or another, which is probably why we continue to see these people on the streets. And we're seeing a lot more. And, you know, it's ironic that you mentioned that, that uh, you know, once a government takes a side, 
that automatically becomes like the COVID position. It's like you're the opposite of it. And I've been seeing like more recently online, especially on Twitter, uh, some people are using some creative tactics to get around the censorship. So you're familiar with the fact checkers that go around. Yeah, those so, are great. Yeah, they have <laughs> tons of guys. fact checkers. So um, <laughs> what some? It's pretty funny if you ask me, but I think it's a clever way to to not only like. Like, regardless of what you believe, I think it's a clever way to expose, like, you know, when an agenda is being pushed. So what someone did on Twitter was is uh, they put out information that's blatantly false. So and then they put an old attack. I think it was like in 1967 when um, uh, Israeli forces uh, attacked uh, a U.S. ship or something like that. I can't remember. I don't know if it was it. uh, It might have. I don't know if they would. I don't know if Israel's ever attacked the states. I don't know. But I know for sure in 67. They are the ones that they're the, admittedly the ones that started firing off rockets and started that war. They said that they were provoked, but they were the first ones to fire in 67. Here, here it was. Yeah, it was something like this. So the tweet exactly says, on June 8th, 1967, Islamic nations attacked the USS Liberty in the uh, Mediterranean Sea. 34 were killed. 171 were injured. Please get the word out. And then the fact checkers went in. The US, uh, USS Liberty was attacked by Israeli forces. Oh, was it? This has been confirmed by numerous reports published by the US government, which was their original intent. So it's just interesting to see how people That's are... That's wild. Why would they attack the US? The US has been an ally forever. I have no clue. Yeah, that's a blind spot for me. That's interesting because if you've always had like this kind of... You know, Israel's been supported by the Western world since... Uh, since, since, since its it, inception. Yeah, honestly. exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the word I was looking for. So it's kind of weird that they would fire on them, especially considering in 67, the provocation was really coming from like Egypt and other Arab nations towards Israel. And the U.S. has never spent any time supporting them. That's a surprise. It's, uh, it's something yeah. I will have to go educate myself on. No, most definitely. And that's what kind of raised my... Made, got me like raising my eyebrow to it because then it started making me think. It's just like, okay, like... That's kind of like a provocateur, like, you know, type of move, because then what if the U.S. thought it was, you know, Islamic forces and then uh, they sent in, you know, troops into that region for that reason, because they thought it was, you know, Islamic forces. Well, I think like you so see it's, it's kind of interesting to see that. I think you see a lot of stuff like that. But kind of to your point about the Twitter stuff, it is kind of funny that people are being that creative and finding a way around it. But isn't it a shame that you have to? It's pretty crazy. It, I, I think, you know, I'm I'm all in favor of adding context to things that require it because you know it's online people like to sensationalize sensationalize things but as long as someone can provide proof to a statement i think i think you know it should fly as long as you can you know provide your spark notes yeah you you should be able to prove your your, as to why you know you made such a statement or why you believe something like that right i I mean i agree i think i think the big thing is Free speech, in my opinion, is under attack, and I think that we need to find a way to level out. I think Elon's doing a great job of providing a, a platform and a landscape where people can actually talk. And, you know, it's a shame that people are pushing back against it, but, um, yeah, you know, that's just the world we live in today, and I obviously have major, major issues with it, but I think that you're going to have a lot of people with a lot of bad ideas. The only way to beat them is <laughs> the only way to beat them is with better ideas. Let it no, happen. That's true, and that's why the bad ideas need to be put out there so exactly. that they can be challenged yes. and shot down. Like it's, it's such a weird thing. People are like, "Well, you know, you can't say things like that." It's like, "No, you can," because the world will condemn you for it at scale. You, you have a let right them to be say stupid. it. Yeah, let, you have a let right people to be call this man stupid. <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, no worries. All right, guys, on to headline number three. Advocates take their case for guaranteed basic income to the Senate. So this is from a CBC article that says advocates calling on Canada to create a basic income uh, is pushed back on what 
the senator called the myths and stereotypes about such a program during a Senate committee meeting. Uh, this was earlier in the, the month on October uh, 17th. And the Red Chamber is actually working through a Bill S-233. And if passed, it would require the finance minister to develop a national framework for implementing a guaranteed livable basic income program throughout Canada. The legislation is sponsored by Senator Kim Pate, and an identical bill has been submitted through the House of Commons by the NDP MP Leah Gazan. And neither bill would actually implement a basic income program, but it's being studied. So what are your thoughts on this, Jonathan? We'd love to, to have your take on UBI in Canada. Well, for starters, because you're seeing one in the House and you're seeing one in the Senate, they're identical bills, this is going to pass in some fashion. Oof. For sure, it's going to, 100%, right? They're already, yeah. both sides are already supporting it, yeah. right? And you've, already, and you've obviously got a coalition government that can pass whatever they want. And let's be realistic, UBI is a socialist program which is basically what our government has become. So tell me how this doesn't go through. I, 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 I have no, no pushback here. I, I just, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask this. So, you know, what if you're someone that's in the middle, you're like, you know what, you know, UBI could potentially work, but like, you know, what are some ways that it could be done correctly? Like, do you even think there's a correct way to do it? Uh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, don't, look, look what happened through COVID. Just, just example number one, you print a bunch of money, you give it to the citizens, you create massive inflation, and your country's deeply in debt. And now what you've created is you created a lazy, a lazy group of people in society that now just expect to be on the government dole. That's, that's kind of what happens. If you're like, no, no, no. If you give people a basic, basic living, look, universal basic income is a solution to a problem our government created. That's what this is. That's exactly what it is. And people are like, you know, I've looked at the budget on it. It'll cost eighty billion dollars a year. That's their. That's that's what they say. Eighty billion. First of all, it'll cost, how did they do the math? It's that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> it'll cost. It'll cost at least one twenty, one thirty minimum. And here's the thing: what happens when you give away free money? People line up for it, so <laughs> it will grow very quickly. Because here's yeah. why: would you not take a basic livable income versus working at McDonald's or working at a restaurant or working at you know working in some shitty job? Any 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 minimum wage job. They're all gone. No one's going to work them. Because the thing is, why would you go take a job and work and do something you don't want to do for the same amount of money? Oh, that's right. You wouldn't. And what's interesting about this program is they say, no one in this program has to educate themselves or be looking for work. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, are you crazy? That is pretty nuts. Like, you know... I, I'm, 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 I'm not really for UBI. I'm just... I, I just more so... I'm. In my personal opinion, I just think that's how they're going to implement CBDCs. So, so <clears throat> I agree with like, you. <laughs> but like, I think UBI, you know, in a in an ideological world, maybe if people were, you know, they worked thirty hours minimum, and then they got like maybe like it's like UBI is like a top up under. They on have the programs like, like this that already exist. So the oh, thing really? is, like, so <clears throat> when you can get food stamps and you can be on, you can be on um, what's it called? Um, Pardon my, my, my assisted living. Yeah, exactly. You, like there that. are programs in place to help people. If you have kids, all these other things. So we already have like a group of a group, like a small group of programs that can go and assist these people. And the thing is, I do believe that you need to help society when society can't help themselves. But that's not what this is. This the idea of a guaranteed basic living income um, is to give everybody over the age of 17 money to survive. But here's one of the challenges you have. If you look at the language in the bills. 
it says that you have to give them um, enough money so that they can have they can sustain a life. They use a certain word. I forget exactly what it is, but it's it's like um, like a it's, they don't use the word respectful, but it's kind of like a, like a reasonable life. That's that's yeah, what it is. They're trying to say decent or or humane. Yeah, or like so, like so they have a they have. A, but here's the problem: when you go to some small town in like Quebec, the average cost of living is twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. When you live here in Toronto, it's closer to forty five to fifty. So how do you then decide? So part of the bill is deciding how much money to give people based on where they live. Okay, so now you've already opened this up for major corruption. It's major, major problem oh, now. Because now my address is in Toronto, and I'm out living in Quebec for sure. I'll fucking catch you later, <laughs> right? But that, that's fine. There's going to be blind spots in these bills, and these things are going to happen. But let's, let's look at the actual reality of the economics, because that's what I think matters most. <clears throat> Pardon me. They say it's going to cost $80 billion a year. So let's just run with $80 billion. Let's just say they're right. They're not, but let's just say they're right. What Gazan said, Leah Gazan, the NDP, she goes, first thing we're going to do is we're going to save $30 billion in government spending. Really? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you. 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 <laughs> I love, if you're going to try to save $30 billion of government spending, I'm all for it. Where do I sign? I'll get everybody to sign. Let's go. <laughs> but here's a question for you. If you could save $30 billion for this program of government spending, why aren't you already doing it? So, so, so you're admittedly burning $30 billion a year. Got it. Super cool. Good job. So the next thing is really, where does the other 50, or in my opinion, $100 billion come from? And, and what Gazan says, it's not even a plan. She goes, well, we're going to take it from the rich. Oh, Careful. Here we go. Here, first of all, they go, well, these rich people are storing money offshore and they're, they're dodging taxes and doing this and doing that. They're gonna, they, we, we could be collecting an extra $51 billion a year. So if you could be collecting it, but you haven't collected, that means it's not money you're ever going to get your fucking hands on. That's for starters. Second of all, they say legal loopholes, dodging taxes by using legal loopholes. Isn't that just doing your taxes appropriately? That's just, it, it, that's, you know, it's funny you mention that because it, it reminds me of that when Donald Trump uh, said that to Hillary Clinton, she's just like, oh, he dodges taxes. And he's just like, I'm just being smart. Yeah, I'm doing, <laughs> using the same tools you are. So, so you're saying, basically what you're saying is all rich people are nasty, evil, and they're doing their taxes properly. And you're going to take that money or you're going to take the money that's offshore. Now, here's a couple problems with that. It's not an actionable plan because if it were, again, you'd already have some of that money. Second of all, you're not taking people's money offshore. No one's implementing those rules. Third, who runs our act? Who actually runs the government? People with the fucking money. You can't just be like, you're going to give us that. They'll go, no, we're not. You're out. You, you get in because you get money. The only way you get into office these days, the only way is you have enough money financial support. So you need enough financial support. So if you're going against the people that are literally donating the money to put you in place, they're going to go, get the fuck out of here, catch you later. And these people are, these people are small potatoes. Gazan and Pate, like, nobody cares. They're gone. You know what I mean? And, 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 and anyway, so now you, you kind of move on to the next thing. You're not going to get that money. So how do you get it? You're going to implement this program. How do you get it? Well, there's one of two ways, right? You can increase taxes so the government makes more money to give to these people, but where are they going to take it from? We're already the most taxed nation in the world. So they'll go, okay, we'll add new taxes to the rich and new taxes to corporations, right? Tell me a time in the world when, when a corporation gets charged more money by the government and that does not get passed directly to the consumer. So when these people say, look, this money's not going to come from your paycheck. It's just going to go to your paycheck. And then it's going to go out of your pocket and inflation's going to be twice as fucking high and it's going to go right back into the companies that are now being taxed. This is not a good solution. There's no way that this works well for anybody. And the only other way for the government to do this is what? 
print more fucking money. When you print money, you drive inflation. And you can't just keep printing money or you devalue your currency, which also drives inflation. There is no way to execute this, plot, this, this program at all. Now, look, I wish that everyone had a decent life. I wish everyone didn't have to worry about putting food on the table. I do. I've been in bad situations in my life where I couldn't. I know what it's like to not have a great situation. I do. Everybody, most people have been in a tough spot before. No, don't get me wrong. My life's been good for a lot of years. I've worked very hard to have that life. But this program is not going to provide people with that life. It's a short-term solution. It's going to be used as a campaign tool to get Trudeau and the NDP reelected as some sort of coalition government, and it's going to ruin this fucking country. Wow, man. You, you, took, you took the words out of my mouth. And you notice the, the, the only thing that I heard on my head, like, as you were going through there, I was like, all I heard was, Buy Bitcoin, buy gold, <laughs> buy silver. I'm like, yeah, dude. I just went full Kiyosaki. I'm just like, <laughs> buy everything. Just like, don't keep dollars. <laughs> like, but it's it's crazy, man. Like when you really put that into perspective, it's just like, where are they getting this magical money from? It's just like, it, at the end of the day, like it, 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 it has to come from somewhere. And they're gonna, like you said, they're gonna have to create it, whether it's through like you know, uh, increase increasing monetary supply, or taxing people. And at the end of the day. Um, Canadians are the only ones that stand to suffer because, you know, it's not going to really affect their life because guess what? These same people saying this, they probably have their money offshore too. 100%. So, so 100%. they're just talking just, just for, you know, I guess, you know, views, votes and everything like that. But it's ironically enough, like, I think the main concern I have with like UBI, like I said earlier, it's just like, how are they going to implement it? So it's going to be with CBDCs, in my opinion. So people's <clears throat> yeah. number one fear. Yeah, you're right. That's how they're going to get the first pilot program. I agree with opinion. you. You're right. Absolutely. And, and then, and then we like, like what we mentioned earlier with the vaccines, right? Guess what? You're going to have to, you're going to have to get your booster pack. Oh, buddy. To, yeah. To, you, to oh, you want, you want that drop? You want that cash drop, bro? Yep. Yeah. hundred percent, dude. hundred percent. Get better, in line. You better get your, 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 your stamps out. You know, your take five, your, be updated every, what they say at the, in the pandemic one time? It was like, oh, you have to get updated every three or six months. Three to, yeah. Something. It was like they, it, every 90 days, every six it, months it or something. Like I don't that. know. And, and they said a lot of wild shit. It was <laughs> wild. And like, it didn't, it, like, wasn't there like a recent report saying how like with after the third shot or something like that, like. You, you you get increased chances of cancer or something like that like yeah so so there, there was something so um there was a study that was put out that was done on 10% of the global population no 9% of the global population 10% of the total vaccinated population and the the study was done on countries near the equator and what it said was um after the age of 60 every 4 years after the age of 60 your increase of dying from a, the covid vaccine doubles Every year after the age, every every after, every four years after the age of sixty. So, when you put that into perspective, your odds of dying from cancer and heart disease they double every ten years after the age of sixty. But if you take this vaccine after sixty, it's every four years. And I, there was some sort of multiple that was in this study based on how many vaccinations you've also taken. So this thing is wildly dangerous. At the same time, they put out a study the other day from Pfizer, uh, the FDA via Pfizer's data or something that kids from two to five now are having seizures and strokes from these things, and they're just now admitting it. Oh, my it. gosh. It's just that these, these things are, are bioweapons, man. And I hate to say that because it sounds conspiratorial, because I, I, I don't think the intent was necessarily as bad as the result, but the result is really what matters, and it's yeah. horrifying. Anyway, that's a tangent. That, that's, that's the one thing that, you know, you go down another way. But totally true. UBI, hey, man, we might see it sometime soon, but hey... We might not. We might. I think know. we will. And I think a lot of the high earners and the capable Canadians are going to get the hell out of this country because that's writing on the wall saying you're all fucked. 
Yeah, and I, I totally agree, and I could see that happening. But, all right, so with that said, uh, on to the next headline. Uh, the cost of living in 2023 is so bad, this woman on TikTok makes nearly 100K per year, but claims she was better off in 2012 earning minimum wage. This is from a Yahoo News article, and it says, recently, TikTok user uh, Sam... Uh, Brazil, I'm assuming. <laughs> she received over a, a uh, she received over 375,000 views on a TikTok where she claims that she had more disposable income in 2012 working a minimum wage job than she does uh, working a job making nearly 100k now. And in the article also states that uh, the art the the cost of living is so bad uh, that she mentions that she pays six. Uh, $1,650 in rent now compared to just 350 in 2012. And with student loans, a car to pay for, she says that she barely has any money left over. Whereas back in 2012, she could go out for dinner and go shopping at any time uh, she wanted. Commenters on the video also echoed her sentiment. But what do you think about this? What do you think about the current cost of living crisis uh, going on, Jonathan? There, there's two sides to this. There's two parts, rather, I should say. Um, First of all, the government tries to tell us that inflation is this small number, like 5 6%. They use the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. Now, that's a basket of goods that they decide what goes in there. They decide what goes in there that helps them politically so they don't look quite as bad, right? And the reason I say that is because the, the cost of groceries in Canada since Trudeau took power in 2015 has gone up over 300%. So even if you use inflation, the inflation number of what it is, like 6% this month, or the 2% that they pay, it's supposed to be every single you know, year, this isn't even close. We're talking about a compound rate of like 18% over the time Trudeau's been in power. Instead, what you have is a number that's over 300%. That's the actual cost of living. Gas has doubled. Rent has doubled. The cost of homes has doubled. These things have gone up over 100%. Everything in life costs more money. And here's the problem. Everyone, all the services, people are making the adjustments in their pricing too because they also have to pay a lot of the same bills. So anyone making minimum wage or anybody in that space, there's no way you can afford to live here. There's just no fucking way. And this is why I think you're seeing the programs like the UBI programs and all these other things. But the reality is, and this is sort of the, the, the second point here, I think they're doing this on purpose. I think what they're trying to do is like you said, if you're trying to push the CBDC stuff, if you're trying to get people on the dole or UBI or whatever the hell it is, if you're trying to control people, you have to take away their ability to be able to support themselves. If they can't support themselves, then they're going to have to depend on you. And you know what? Honestly, like, I don't know how, well, I do know how. I guess they printed a bunch of money and shut the entire economy down for several years. But this is not going to get any better for several years. We are going to be going through a situation for quite some time where we're in a recession or a depression, despite whatever the government's numbers are saying, that is the reality. You can look and say, oh, well, if you don't see a decrease in growth in your GDP, blah, 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 blah. But let's be realistic. How do people live in their everyday lives? That's what actually matters more. So if you look at, if you compare how people are living today versus the Great Depression, if you look at the numbers in the United States, I know it's not the same in Canada, but I know if you look at the numbers in the United States, People had way more money. Their, their buying power was substantially better during the Great Depression in the 30s than it is right now in the United States. So when you look at that direct comparison, and that, is, that has to do with their income, the, basically what they did, there was a drawed value between income and how much they could purchase for it, so their purchase power. It is way lower today. This is not going to get any better for a long time because we're not doing any of the right things.
And I feel bad for a lot of these people. But unfortunately, I think that they're just in for a tough ride. And, you know, the only positive thing I will say is a good recession will create a lot of hard workers. A good recession will, you know, it's that funny thing, you know, good times create weak men, weak men create bad times, bad times create strong men, strong men create, you know, um, bad times again. Bad times, yeah. It, no, it's just strong men create, create good, good times. times. <laughs> yeah, then it, you, you get it. So it's, yeah, so it's weak men create bad times, bad times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men again. It kind of goes in that yeah. circle. We are in that, we are in that cycle right now. And the only benefit that I can see for people, despite all the challenges, is that it's going to make them stronger. You know, I don't That's know how they're going to put food on the table. I don't know what kind of sacrifices they're going to have to make. I don't know what the government's going to force them to do. But at the end of it all, I think people will be stronger for it. And that's a good point to make. I, I think the good thing that's going to come out of this, it's like, it, it's it's going to go one or two ways. You're either going to put up or you're going to shut up. You're going you're gonna to step up or you're going to roll over. And it, it being put into those, like, I guess, you know, for lack of a better word, do or die uh, type of moments, it really shows you a lot about yourself at the end of the day. And, you know, a lot of people are going to be put into these situations where they finally realize and, you know, put that mirror in front of them and say, all right, how did like, you know, this, how do we get to this situation? You know what I mean? How can I improve it? You know, what skills can I pick up? What can I learn? What can I do? And I think, I think with all of this that, that that's going on as well too, I think one thing I really want to highlight as well is that this person, they, it sounds like they have a high, they have a spending problem from what it, from what it sounds like in my, pro, yeah. in my personal opinion. She's comparing her life as a student. So she's paying student rent. Yeah. As soon as she said $350, I'm like, bro, that's student rent prices. Like, when you're a student, you're in a bubble. Yeah. Like, you're in a... For sure. I remember even when I was a student, like, the first ever time I paid rent as a student, like, my rent was $450. Like, when I went to University of Waterloo, it was like $450. So... And that was expensive compared to the people who came to university before me. They were like, oh, you're paying $450? I only paid like $350 or $250, stuff like that. So it's just like she's comparing her, her, her expenses as a student. And then on top of that, she's not even acknowledging the fact that she has a high spending. Like, do you really have to drive that, that new Mercedes Benz with a $1,200 car note? Do you, do you really have to do that? Can you buy something that you can maybe afford a little better? It seems like her apartment's really not that bad, you know. <laughs> yeah, sixteen hundred in Vancouver—that's that's that's pre-pandemic prices. Sixteen hundred so. in Van, yeah. Now that doesn't buy you shit. Now the average—I think the average apartment in Van's like twenty-five hundred, twenty-eight hundred, something like that. It's wild now. But yeah. that is actually kind of the value, right? That's that's one of the like I said again. I, I try to look for silver linings and things, and that's kind of what it is. This is going to force you to. Be humbled. You're going to have to get rid of the $1,200 Mercedes. You're not going to have a choice. Otherwise, you can't eat. You might have to downsize. And I feel bad that our government's put us in this situation, but this is where you get strong. You get strong by failure. You get strong by being thrown out on your ass. You get strong by getting back into the old beat-up Toyota Tercel and, and staying <laughs> at mom and dad's and raiding their cupboards. Like That's how you get strong again. You get strong by making sacrifices. You get strong by realizing that you don't have a good enough skill set to survive in this world anymore and make enough money. So you start adapting. And like you said, it's you adapt or you die. And the way you die is you fall under the government, you fall under that government's you fall under the government umbrella of UBI and CBDC and all this other shit that they say, get in line and get your vaccine and do all this other crap. This is everybody's opportunity to feel what hard life is gonna be like and view out of, like you said, put up or shut up. That's it.
Yeah, and the good news is for the few people who have that, you know, they have that dog in them. Let's go. Like to yeah. Say. You know Everybody's I mean? got a dog in them, bro. Everyone's Everybody got a dog. does. Everybody's has a dog in them, and they also have that little bitch voice. Yeah. So it's just it's up to you to who you're gonna listen to. But I think all you gotta do is like, especially in this world where everyone is just cr literally online crying and complaining, you just gotta try a little bit harder. Just just a little. Well, he bit here's harder. the thing that I like. I part. like to try to tell people like. This sounds so fucking fluffy, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Greatness is something you choose every day. Every day you get up, you can choose to be fucking great. You can choose to be the best version of yourself. You can choose to try as hard as possible. You can choose to not fucking bitch and complain. You can choose to be the greatest version of yourself and to continue to improve every day. This isn't something that happens overnight, and it's not something you can only try once in a while. You make it your lifestyle to be great, and you will win. Nothing can take you down. That's how it is, man. And... Not enough people see that. Not enough people realize how capable they are. Not enough people are willing to yeah. pull that dog out of them and get into the fucking fight. But shit yeah. like this is forcing them to do that. So hopefully, society becomes a little more great because things are so terrible today. And like I said, it's going to continue to get worse. That's true. So, all right, folks, let's get into this next one. So we have headline number five, which is MPs want big tech held responsible for misinformation spread online by foreign actors. This is from a BNN Bloomberg article. And in this article, it states that a parliamentary committee, a committee is calling on Canada to hold tech giants accountable for publishing false or misleading information online, especially when it's spread by foreign actors. There were among 22 recommendations in the House uh, Ethics Committee made in this study of foreign interference by both China and Russia. With the Bloc Québécois MP and committee vice chair, uh, René um, Villem Fuck sorry. it up. I'm sorry, Fuck Quebec it up. What? Let's go. <laughs> René Villemeur. I don't know yeah, how to say yeah, there it. There it is. <laughs> sorry. I, I'm English, guys. Uh, je ne, je ne parle français. Nice. Uh, that rolled off pretty nice. That rolled off. Je ne parle français pas. <laughs> hey, it's been a long time. Yeah. But, you know, um, the, <laughs> the Black Québécois MP said that Canada needs to take a firm position in uh, on this, similar to the European Union which has a digital misinformation law that cuts, uh, that curbs hate speech and propaganda. The federal conservatives were the only party to disagree with the recommendation, saying that it will endorse censorship online. So what are your thoughts on this, on censorship going on in Canada at the moment? <clears throat> um, oh, God. So there's so many problems with what they're trying to do there. First of all, who gets to decide what is mis- or disinformation? Right, like you're basically like we're like we're the truth police. We get to tell you what's what. So how can you how can you possibly implement a rule that holds social media companies accountable, which are supposed to be like telephone companies, right? They're not responsible for what you say on there because how can they be? But you're going to hold them responsible for things that are said that you don't even know if it's mis or disinformation yet, because the government doesn't decide until it's already happened what's wrong. So what they're basically saying is you have to go in and censor anything we tell you to censor after the fact or once we've decided how we feel about an issue, take the Israel-Palestine war, and anything else that comes out is mis- or disinformation. The next problem I have with that, if you look at anything that happened over COVID, they censored people for fucking everything. You know, pushback against vaccines, questioning masks, lockdowns, all these other things. The Wuhan lab, you know, being the, the, the origination, uh, pardon me, the, um, where the virus originated from. All of that was disinformation. All of that is true. So when you look at these rules being implemented, you're like, for my first biggest and always will probably the biggest problem I have with this, who gets to decide what the truth is, right? And these, what these governments are doing is they're saying, we do. We get to decide. We know better. 
Fuck you. That's how I feel about that, for starters. Second of all, um, they said something about, you know, implementing a rule that they have in Europe. So in Europe, the, the European Union, they have a Digital Services Act. This is dark. What they're, they, they can completely control everything that happens on all these social media platforms. They also have given themselves in the UK, they've given themselves the power to build a back door into these programs so they can actually look at your converse, private conversations you're having with people. This is the OSB. This is, this is in, uh, in Britain, in the UK. They can tap into your conversations that you're having on things that are supposed to be encrypted, like WhatsApp or Signal. So this is, at scale, we're losing the censorship war. That's already happening. And then when they say, oh, we need to implement these things in Canada, what the hell do they think they're implementing? We've got Bill C-11, we've got Bill C-18. The Online News Act has basically shut off news in Canada, which Trudeau knew would happen because it's the same thing that happened in Australia when they tried to employ the same strategy against tech companies. We have Bill C-11, which is the Online Streaming Act, which means you have, to, you have to file with the CRTC if you make over $10 million. And once you file, they get to dictate what content you're allowed to push out. That's it. That's the bottom line. They can say whatever they want to say. Oh, we're prioritizing Canadian content. What you're doing is you can look at any piece of content that there's a complaint about. This is just one of the rules. Um, it doesn't even have to be illegal. So take this podcast. Take a Joe Rogan podcast, especially through COVID. Some left-wing fuckbag goes and complains about this. And then the CRTC goes, yeah, that's misinformation. We're going to pull that down. So they don't actually penalize Joe Rogan. They penalize Spotify and say Spotify has to pull it down. If they don't, they fine Spotify. So these rules are already here. And the worst one is they're implementing something called Bill C-36. Bill C-36 is a hate speech bill. That's exactly what it is. They can say whatever the fuck they want. That's what it is. But the thing is, they get to decide what is hate speech. So when you combine all of these tools together, Canada may have the strongest censorship weapon in the world against its citizens. Maybe the strongest, wow. you know, in, 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 let's call it a democratic country. Allegedly. Yeah, like you get into places, you go, you, go you go to like North Korea, you go to places like China, sure, it's a little different, but they don't, they don't pretend like they've got a democratic system in place. Yeah. So this is already going 100 miles an hour the wrong fucking way, and I actually think it's too late. What I actually believe, if I, if I go, I'm not trying to go too deep here, but I think that other than Twitter, X, which is where I'm going to start posting a lot of content, I think, everything is captured. Everything is captured. Everybody's got government agents working there. Everyone's towing the line of the governments. Because the thing is, they don't actually give a fuck what you and I have to say. They care about making money. That's their goal. You don't see anybody who owns a social media company out there screaming social justice, giving a flying fuck about any of these cultural issues. They don't care. They're above all of this because they're multi-billionaires. What they care about is making money, right? So what's going to have to happen? These things are captured. We're going to have to create new systems. You're going to have to create either decentralized social media, Web3, some other way to communicate where they can't actually clamp down on it. And they will eventually. It's a cat and mouse game, right? Yeah. But when these people say, when these MPs and say, oh, we need to hold these, these social media companies accountable for misinformation and disinformation and all this other stuff, and you simply can't. There's already legislation in place to safeguard them. Unless you abolish all of that, this is just more nonsense. This is just people just screaming in that, that their, their propaganda and censorship megaphone just letting everybody know that they've got control of you, they've got control of me, they've got control of everybody and what everybody can say online. That's all that this is. That's not going to go anywhere because legally there's no way to apply that particular rule. That being said, those other three tools, C11, C18, and C36, are, like I said, the most severe weapon in the world against censorship, and it's already coming down on Canadians. 
and I don't know that there's any real, real good way out of it, to be honest. Yeah, it's 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 getting real spooky in North America, that's for sure. And I, it, ironically enough, I feel like we're like a crash test dummy for what they're gonna try in the states. It's like, <laughs> like yeah, let's try it here before we, uh, or before we rile up people with guns. <laughs> well, you, so it's interesting. In the United States, they've already got. So what they had was they had a bunch of legislation going through the state level, right? So all the yeah. Democratic states were like, the government needs to have more control. You fucking psychos. But and everybody on the conservative side were saying, or Republicans rather, they were saying, no, 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 no. The social media companies need to be, if they're a telephone service, under Section 230, that's basically what they have, is they have, they have safety from what other people say online. If that's what they are and they can use Section 230, then they can't censor people, especially for political views. That's what all the conservative governments are saying. So what they did was the Supreme Court goes, we're going to grab all that at the federal level. We're going to take all that. We're going to do one big case. That big case is working its way through the Supreme Court right now. So there is one big wow. case going on that is going to be decided probably early in 2024. And if I had to... Right in time for election season. If I had to guess, it's going to go... It's, unfortunately, if I had to guess, it's going to go the way of the, the democratic solution. They're going to go censorship. They're going to go control. They're going to start applying these new rules. And the reason I really believe this is because... And it's, I know it's kind of a funny thing, but they signed this UN declaration... All these, all these governments, I forget the name of it, it's this global governance thing on disinformation that was brought forth by Melanie Jolie uh, of Canada. So Canada actually championed the bill. They brought it through the UN, and over 30 countries have signed it. And it's all the notable Western countries. And what they did was they agreed at that time to use their political tools, their policy, their laws to implement weapons against disinformation worldwide. And as we know, disinformation is just one side telling us what the truth is, and the rest of us have to shut the fuck up. So I believe that the United States is going to go the exact same way. And again, the next thing that we can do as a society is build a new set of tools that is outside their current grasp. That's a good point. So it seems in every way it, we have to adapt, whether that's like economically, you know, politically, socially. Adapt, it's adapt or die right now. So the world, that's man. interesting, man. And you know, like it just, it just gets me, it just gets me thinking. You know, the, the future is it's as much as like you know, it may seem kind of grim. I also think there's like a silver lining of of of, of good, in the sense that like it's forcing people to create their own systems and not being over reliant on like what's currently out there. So I think you know that's the good thing. People are creating their own systems, decentralizing, as we were speaking about earlier. Just, um, just you know, relieving some tension away from like you know these centralized sources, which suck up all the power, almost like like a vacuum. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I'll kind of finish off the day and say something that I think is sort of important. Like, humans are creatures of progress, right? Yeah. If you look at a beehive today, or you look at a beehive from ten years ago, while it's a magnificent thing, it's the exact same. Nothing changes. But if you look at a cell phone from 20 years ago to today, one of them's a flip phone that you can barely call somebody on, and the other one now is a supercomputer that can fly you to the moon. <laughs> so humans progress. We have this need to progress, right? Yeah. And what happens in society, or what has happened over the last few centuries, is uh, maybe a couple centuries, um, we've taught people that by the time they're in their mid-20s, you're educated, you don't need to learn anymore. You don't really need to progress. You just need to get on the hamster wheel and live your life. Hamster wheel, rather, and live your life. That's all you need to do. Stuff like this, you know, we talked today about a lot of silver linings. Things that force you to adapt and grow and progress, that's, that's instinctual. That's, that's, it's, that's baked into being a human. So, yes, I think the world looks terrible in a lot of ways. I think it is a pretty grim. But 
We are innately creatures of progress, and this is going to force people that have been stuck on a hamster wheel for a long time to jump off and learn how to progress again. So I think there's good value in it. Well, that's what's up. So, well, that's pretty much it for today, folks. So thanks for tuning in for this one. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye, everybody.